0: So there's a phrase, Miguel's already used it this morning, you may have heard it, you probably hear it out on the street, keep it real, but he heard this phrase, keep it real, uh, it means to um, be honest, remain honest, genuine, authentic, true, uh, the kids say, keep it 100, which is keep it 100% real, um, but probably because I know that, they don't say it anymore, right, it's, they're on to something else, so. I'm sure one of you will correct me uh, after the sermon. Um, we, want, we want a church that, that keeps it real, right? Keeps it 100. 100% real. Um, our passage today, and that's my introduction. How was that? That was really quick, right? Um, because I want to give some time to some special guests that we have at the end of the sermon. And so, um, our passage today is in, in Zechariah is about keeping it real, essentially. About how we as a church keep it real. So, would you turn to chapter 7 in the book of Zechariah, and we will take a look there together. I'm going to go through it and do some glossing, sort of explain what's going on here. We're diving right in, and then afterwards we'll pull out some, actually two cautions and one command that are going to help us keep it real. Okay, so Zechariah chapter 7 verse 1. Says this, in the fourth year of King Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah on the fourth day of the ninth month, which is Chislev. And if you're interested, that's December of 518 BC. Remember that day? Um, In the case, uh, so this is two years into Zechariah's ministry and two years before the temple was completed. So the background is this, and you will hopefully have gathered this as we've been talking about Zechariah. the, the Israelites have returned from exile in Babylon. And they were there uh, finally sent, you know, because they had continued not to hold up their end of the covenant with God. And so um, he, in an effort to get their attention and to bring them ultimately back to himself, allowed them to experience um, this incredibly painful season in their Communal life together, where they were actually overrun by the nations around them and moved to another place, Babylon, mostly and uh, and then, they, after seventy years, they came back and they were to rebuild the society, they were to rebuild the walls and the city, and especially they were re- to rebuild the temple and One of the key pieces we 've been talking about throughout the course of our study in Zechariah is that the temple represents the presence of God in their midst, and, and that 's really what it 's about it 's about the presence of God in our midst. that That's true for us individually as people and collectively together. So um, here they are, they're back and they haven't been able to rebuild the temple and so Zechariah comes on the scene really to encourage them to get going. And this is the connection with our current season uh, as a society where we are hopefully coming out of the pandemic. Uh, um, we always hold that statement lightly, right? But we, uh, we're gathering at least, we're here together and Um, Some of you are still online. You're you're thinking about coming, and and you're working that out. And we trust God's timing and all of that. But the thing that He wanted to do was to get them going. He felt a call from God to get them going, and God gave him visions to help make that happen. And so uh, it's similar to our situation, the situation that Israel is in. They needed to get going. He basically said to them very encouraging words throughout: "God is with us. Let's get going. God is with us. Let's get going." And that's the word for us as well as a community. So verse 2. Now the people of Bethel had sent Sherezer and Regem Melech and their men to entreat the favor of the Lord, saying to the priests of the house of the Lord of hosts and the prophets, "'Should I weep and abstain in the fifth month as I have done for so many years?' So delegation comes from the north, uh, from the kingdom, and uh, they are asking if they need to keep fasting. Uh, they've been doing this since the temple was destroyed. Since the Babylonians came in, the temple was destroyed on that month every year. They'd been fasting to remember what had happened and fasting to have God reverse uh, what had what, ha- what had taken place. Ultimately, so they're continuing to fast. Now the temple is almost done being constructed. And so they come and they say, you know, do we need to keep fasting? Zechariah 4. This is Zechariah's response. Then the word of the Lord of hosts came to me, Zechariah, say to all the people of the land and the priests, when you fasted and mourned in the fifth month and in the seventh for these 70 years, was it for me that you fasted? So this is the Lord asking through Zechariah. Was it for me, the Lord says, that you fasted? And when you eat and when you drink, do you not eat for yourselves and drink for yourselves? Were not these the words that the Lord proclaimed by the former prophets when Jerusalem was inhabited and prosperous with their cities around her and the south and the lowland were inhabited? So, Zechariah is speaking with prophetic knowledge here and asking them kind of a rhetorical question. He, he knows either supernaturally or because of data about them that we don't have explained to us in this text. He knows that their fasting was not to cultivate a hunger for God. But uh, was out of a desire to get their own way. To get what they wanted. They were fasting so that the things in their lives would go in the way that they wanted them to go. So it's, it's, it's a critical difference. The difference between fasting for relationship with God, for presence, for knowledge, for intimacy with the Lord. Versus fasting merely so that something that you would want to have happen would happen. Hold on to that. We'll come back to that a little bit later. Verse 8, and the word of the Lord came to Zechariah saying, thus says the Lord of hosts, render true judgments. And if you're underlining things in your Bible, this would be one of the, the verses you want to underline. This is sort of where we're landing today. Thus says the Lord of hosts, render true judgments, show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor, and let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. In other words, the presence, get this, this is an important point, the presence or the absence of these things are a kind of a litmus test for the sincerity of their fasting. This is not the only place. We see this in Isaiah as well. In fact, we did a series on biblical justice in March of 2017. And I want to refer you back to that. Because there we kind of, we get into the definitions of things a little bit more. And we talk about fasting uh, there from from Isaiah. But this point, that these these actions um, are a kind of a litmus test for the sincerity of their spiritual practices. We'll come back to that. Uh, if you really want to, if you really want God, He's saying you you, you want to care for the marginalized too, because that's what God wants. So if the if the core of your fasting is for God, then it's going to contain these elements which are at the center of God's heart, right? Verse eleven. But they refused to pay attention and turned a stubborn shoulder, and stopped their ears that they might not hear. They made their hearts diamond hard. Lest they should hear the law and the words that the Lord of hosts had sent by his spirit through the former prophets. So in other words, before the exile, this is how Israel responded. And Zechariah is saying, don't be like your forefathers. Don't respond in that same way to the command of God in your life. Um... And verse 13, uh, as, uh, there, oh excuse me, the rest of verse 12. Therefore, great anger came from the Lord of hosts, as I called and they would not hear, so they called and I would not hear, says the Lord of hosts. And I scattered, scattered them with a whirlwind among all the nations that they had not known. Thus, the land they left was desolate, so that no one went to and fro, and the pleasant land was made desolate." So two cautions and one command in this text that are going to serve to help us keep it real as we continue on this journey as a church together. The first one is simply this. Watch out for empty ritual. Watch out for empty ritual ritual. Israel's in a season of what's supposed to be a comprehensive renewal of Jewish culture and society and all the components of that. And part of the engine of that renewal, part of the engine of that renewal is the spiritual practice of fasting. But Zechariah is saying there's a problem with the fasting. So fasting is mentioned little in pre-exile times, uh, more frequently in post-exile times. And then we get to the New Testament. Of course, Jesus models fasting in a powerful way. And he also commands the disciples. He assumes the disciples will be fasting. And he gives them instruction on how to fast. So it's almost like throughout um, throughout the scripture, there's this growing sort of importance of fasting as a spiritual practice practice so when fasting is done properly it's, it's good this isn't a knock against fasting from Zechariah it can be remarkably helpful for me personally, fasting has been a lifeline, both for my personal life and for ministry. And I, I have stepped out of fasting in the last while, uh, almost as if, you know, feeling spirit-led to take a break. Uh, but this last week, I stepped back into it um, and was reminded of what a powerful spiritual practice fasting can be. To draw one closer to the Lord. I also noticed how out of practice I was in it and how uncomfortable it was because I, I hadn't been doing it on a regular basis. Comfortable and uncomfortable uncom- at the same time. right? Comfortable in the way it draws you close to the Lord. Uncomfortable because of the physical element. which is Which is sort of the point. But I would say that throughout the course of my life in ministry, there have been moments when I felt like this practice of fasting has really saved me in ministry. Has been one of the spiritual tools the Lord has given to be able to keep me going through the hardest times, and so I just offer that as testimony, because the biblical testimony and the testimony of Jesus is that fasting is important. And I'm just saying, and I've seen that to be true in my life in powerful ways. If you want to fast, if you're not, if this is unfamiliar to you, and you want to, you want to join me, if it would help you, you know, reach out, and I will. We, we could do this together. Um, so I, I sort of, I, I don't make huge plans about when I'm going to do it, but it is and has been a regular part of my life and would love to share that. We're going to actually call a church-wide fast on Good Friday which is something we've done traditionally um, I think we've maybe lost a little bit of focus on that but I'm excited for us to go back to that. Pastor Paul's already been working on the guide the guidelines for that or the the, the teaching on it and so excited to have you get that in your hands but I wanted to put a bookmark in your mind to be thinking already that we're going to be doing this coming up on Good Friday. Now fasting, a little bit more about fasting, um, it's common, somewhat common to fast for specific things. We see that in various places in scripture. Um, assuming that it was true here, they were fasting for the rebuilding of the temple, for some of the other things that they were hoping would happen. Um, we see it, uh, it, you know, in places, um, we see it in other places in scripture. So, so Ezra calls a fast right at the beginning of Israel's return to Jerusalem, to, to, to the land. Um, that was a, almost a 900 mile trek. And so they called a fast for protection as they would be making that journey back to the promised land after the exile was over. Paul and Barnabas fasted for the, fasted for the elders of the churches that they had established. Uh, in Judges, the Israelites fast for victory in battle. So, um, so it's appropriate to fast for specific things to take place. In our lives. But here's the thing. And this is sort of the message that comes out of this text in in a powerful way. Um, If the thing you are fasting for. Becomes more important than the person you are fasting to. Then it has become empty ritual. That's the point. If the thing that you are fasting for. Becomes more important than the person you are fasting to then it has become empty ritual. Fasting is first and foremost about God's presence, about becoming more attuned to God's presence during this time when we're waiting for Christ to return. Fasting is intimately tied to our eschatology, the way that we understand the end times. We fast and we long for God who is coming back. We won't be fasting in heaven. Because we'll be in the presence of God. And so we fast now as a way to amplify that hunger and that longing for God's presence in our lives. Remember we've said this throughout the study of the book of Zechariah. That it's really at bottom about the presence of God with Israel. And that's what's core to our lives as well. And fasting is this beautiful spiritual practice to be able to draw us in. And we fast. We're motivated to fast because there's things in particular that we hope would happen in our lives, but we can't let those things override the ultimate goal of intimacy with God. A lot of times it's through that that feeling of loss or that emptiness that we come to learn new things about the way God is moving in our lives and maybe turns out we We didn't need that thing we thought we needed. In fact, if we're saying to God, "Look," I mean, this is what we're saying when we're fasting and our focus is more on the thing than on the person of the the Lord. Fasting to the Lord, we're basically saying, "Look, I don't need you, God, but if you give me this thing, I'll be fine. I'll be able to take care of myself." And and because He loves us, God doesn't allow us to go down that path. So he brings Zechariah into our lives to call us out. Say, look, don't forget that the core of fasting is the presence of God. Nothing else will do to meet your needs. It's the Lord. And we're also dishonoring uh, God as father and treating him instead like a broker when we, when we fast in this way. Or, or really this is true of any of our spiritual practices. We don't want to be using God to get something. Um, not only is that just obviously something that we don't want to do, but it's, it's not even reality because there's nothing that God could give us that would be better than himself so again this is a danger with all spiritual practices it's, it's in particular related to fasting but we could talk about prayer in this way we could talk about worship gathering together to worship we could talk about it in this light if the thing you are worshipping for becomes more important than the person you are worshipping to then it's become an empty ritual so how do our rituals become empty? alright There's a heart condition here that that shifts our spiritual practices from sincere to empty. And Zechariah has some pretty strong words for the Israelites and by extension for us. And I just want you to take a breath for a second. I want to invite you to hear his words in the strength of them and let them sort of penetrate, you know, your heart, your life um, to to do the spiritual work. You know how it is when, when God wants to do a spiritual work in us, it usually gets a bit uncomfortable, right? Most of the work, the good work that God does in us comes in those moments of discomfort. Um, and, and, and you can sit in the discomfort um, and you will get the transformation or you can run away from the discomfort and then miss the transformation. So I want to I wanna invite you to sit in the discomfort one second. We're going to get to verses 9 and 10, which are the real heart of this passage, um, and what it means to have sincere devotion as a community, to keep it real. But before we we talk about verses 9 and 10, we have to do a little bit of heart, spade work, deep churning work, uh, turning over the soil, so uh, that we can hear what the Lord is saying in verses 9 and 10. Because otherwise they will bounce off us, right? We have the Teflon kind of shell. And verses 9 and 10 will bounce off us. So we got to go logically forward to verses 11 and 13. They happen later, but logically they precede verses 9 and 10. The Israelites before the exile had this listening problem. This is where the heart condition is. They had a listening problem. So Zechariah reminds them. And now he's telling the Israelites after the exile. He says, don't be like the ones before the exile who had the listening problem. And he's Telling us sitting here this morning as well don't be like the Israelites before the exile and have a listening problem verse 11 but they refused to pay attention and turned a stubborn shoulder I, I picture a stubborn shoulder kind of like this but maybe it's it's like this right a stubborn shoulder and they stopped their ears I, I, you know we, we often use we don't usually do this literally we just sort of do this right stopping our ears, were not listening, that they might not hear. They made their hearts diamond hard, lest they should hear the law and the words of the Lord of hosts had sent by his spirit through the former prophets. Therefore, great anger came from the Lord of hosts, as I, call, as I called, and they would not hear, so they called, and I would not hear, says the Lord of hosts. I can't think of many times in the scripture when there are, the biblical writer piles up three images like this, one on top of the other. Let's, let's call them out. Stubborn shoulder. Stopped ears, you know. And diamond hard heart. I don't know how to express that. It's inside. But you know it when you feel it. Zechariah is asking you today, do you have a stubborn shoulder? Do you have a stopped ear? Do you have a diamond heart heart? Are there things God has asked you to do that you're not currently doing? Because you're not listening, because you're not hearing. Well, the answer to that question is, what? Are there things you're, you're not doing because you're not listening to the Lord? What's the answer to that question? Right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And this is why we need to turn the page over to the New Testament. Because everything that occurs in the New Testament is, 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 is to create a new covenant to address this problem of our inability to hear the word of God, to hear the command of God, and to live it out. So in the pages of the New Testament, we find this incredible story unfolding. Jesus, God in the flesh, coming to us. He rains down on us this undeserved grace, even in the midst of our hard-heartedness. But also because he loves us, he doesn't want us to remain as we are. So he's come and inhabited all the qualities that we're supposed to have, and He's wrapped them in this unconditional love in Jesus Christ. And the true inner transformation comes when we unwrap that gift of grace and meditating on the extent of God's love for us in Christ. You know, the shoulders start to lower, the ears begin to open, and the heart begins to melt. We can't get there in our own strength. We need the grace of Jesus Christ. The grace of Jesus Christ is what motivates us into a life like verses 9 and 10. So let's practice this by reading the command of verses 9 and 10. But before we reflect on on how we might live these out in relation to the people around us, let's consider how the Lord has already lived these out in relation to us. Because that's how grace comes in. And that's where the deep inner transformation takes place. So here we are, verse 9. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Render true judgments, show kindness and mercy to one another. Do you know that God has done that with you? Because the true judgment is this, is that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and the result of that is eternal separation from God. That's true judgment right there. That's justice. But God taking on flesh, stepped into the world, Jesus Christ goes to the cross, offers himself atoning sacrifice for sin. And then there we have the second part of the verse. Show kindness and mercy to one another. It never ceases to amaze me that in one simple act God was able to bring together justice and mercy in such perfection and apply it to our lives. That when we needed needed to be made righteous, we needed to be justified before God Jesus was willing to do what needed to be done to make that possible on the cross. And thereby allow us To stand in mercy. To be forgiven. To be freed. And that is the quintessential act of kindness. Of showing kindness. God in his grace has shown kindness towards us. in mercy. And then it says do not oppress the widow, the fatherless. Uh, Who are the widow and the fatherless? They're, They're those who are without protection. And that's us. First of all. That's us. That we, in our sins, stand without protection. And we need one greater than us to come alongside and cover us. And that's what Jesus does. The sojourner. We were without a home. Apart from Christ. The poor... We had no hope apart from Christ. We had no eternal wealth or riches or significance. And then this last part, let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. I am drawn to that moment in the garden of evil. We think about how did Jesus live out this part of the verse. In the garden, there he prayed that powerful prayer. He said, you know, Lord, if it be possible, take this cup from me. But not your will, not my will, your will be done. So, in other words, the opposite of devising evil against another is to devise a way for their good. And there's Jesus in the garden praying to the Father. And together they have devised a way to bless you and to bless me in an eternal way. Oh, we have been on the receiving end of all of these commandments in Christ. And this is why we then pay it forward in the relationships with the people. Amidst the society, the community in which we live. Because we have been the unworthy recipients of something magnificent. I love that we have a pastor of now worship and mission. I think it's beautiful that those two go together. I really think it's beautiful they go together. Because according to this passage, the spiritual disciplines like worship... And the biblical, and, and and the work of biblical justice—they ought to go hand in hand. They ought to go hand in hand. And again, I refer you back to our series on biblical justice in March of 2017. I like how Mark Laberton puts it, Scripture indicates that our personal and communal worship are meant to shape our vision and fire our engines to be daring disciples, imitating and sharing the love of Jesus Christ in acts of righteousness and justice. Let me read it again. Scripture indicates that our personal and communal worship are meant to be to shape our vision and fire our engines to be daring disciples, imitating and sharing the love of Jesus Christ in acts of righteousness and justice. In other words, the two are bound together. So we've organized ourselves to facilitate more rendering of justice, showing kindness and mercy, not oppressing, etc. And so I'm going to invite Miguel to help us as we think through the ways connected to our community here that we can live out what Zechariah is calling us to this morning.
1: Thanks, Andrew. Um... Yeah, this is deeply a part of my heart. So I'm really grateful to, to share with you all. Um, today we, we want to highlight for you what we call our Agape um, teams. And Agape is simply the Greek word for love in action. And you can go ahead and put that on the screen if, if, it's, uh, if it's possible. So, uh, the Agape teams are uh, teams that basically are, it's a corporate expression of God's love um, to extend. To others in small and tangible and sustainable ways, we don't we don't want to burn ourselves out. Um, so so yeah I, oh yeah it's up now um, to express God's love as a church body in small sustainable and tangible ways to those in our local community. And this is an extension, like Andrew said, of, uh, of God's love toward us that we want to extend toward others. Then the next slide, you'll see that um, this may- might help you get a picture. We use the, this term, the discipleship pathway. Um, there's many steps. The first step is to get connected. And then uh, the very last step is to get going and multiply. This is an, an aspect of discipleship and disciple making. So this is ministry to the world. And um, I would like to invite the. Uh, there are different leaders um, leading different Agape teams, and so they're going to highlight for you uh, what they do. So come on, come on up, Agape team leaders. Um, we're going to have a, a fair in between service outside in the courtyard. If you'd like more information, um, but yeah, let's yeah, let's come on up and um, starting with with Brett. And all right, let me actually let me grab another mic that way. We'll grab the. Blue, blue, Mike.
2: All right. Good morning, everyone. Um, my name is Brett, and I'm going to talk to you um, about Alpha. So, who can I get a show of hands? Who's heard of of Alpha? All right, we got quite a few. It's a wonderful ministry based uh, in England. It started in England uh, many years ago, and it's actually gone worldwide. And uh, Alpha is a, it's really uh, just a wonderful resource to um, facilitate discussions of exploring faith um, with friends, neighbors, and folks who might not otherwise, uh, you know, Come to church, and what it what it really is is it. There's a series of uh, fun and impactful, engaging video sessions uh, that kind of journey through the basics of of the Christian faith, and it's really a a great way to invite 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 folks to kind of sit with you and have wonderful discussions about christianity and just about any any topics related to that and it allows you to do just it's an easy way to do life on life with with people in a in a faith context and I really want to encourage you to to stop by the table um, out there to, to discuss more about it. I've been doing it um, uh, with my, my wife and I had led a, a couple a young couple uh, a while back through Alpha and it was just an awesome experience with them and they we, we were able to um, just really uh, build relationships with them and just it, it, teach in part uh, to them just a love of the gospel and of God and we were able to settle them uh, kind of in a a local community church as a result of that and it's been it's been awesome so um, yeah please check us out we'll be there uh, and if you have questions the idea here is we're going to work with you uh, with your neighbors and friends to find out the best way that we can we can help you um, either run an alpha uh, yourself uh, it 's very easy um, or possibly even host host an alpha here um, to to help you get going so we want to understand the, the context that you 're coming from and partner with you uh, to help that so if you 're interested love to chat with you
1: thanks Brett this is Jodi. You may know (laughs) Jodi.
3: Good morning. I love Alpha. Anyway, I get to talk about the Bay Area Rescue Mission, which is an awesome opportunity to serve the Lord. Throughout the Bible, we read of God's heart for the poor, and I know we got to hear about that this morning, but I also wanted to share Deuteronomy 15.7 says, if among you one of your brothers should become poor in any of your towns within your land that the Lord your God has given you, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother. So the motto of the Bay Area Rescue Mission is changing lives for a brighter tomorrow. Some of their ministries include providing meals, safe shelter, and a life transformation program. They also have a food pantry distribution. They provide transitional living and community outreach. We are blessed to have an amazing, through-the-roof amazing staff member as part of our Solano family, Rose Berlin over there. Rose, Rose Russell. <laughs> um, there are lots of ways that Solano has had the privilege of partnering with the Bay Area Rescue Mission, like coming alongside members of the program and staff for a two-hour time of worship and fellowship once a month on a Saturday evening. We got to do that last night. Our first Saturday evening there was worship and sharing and fellowship over games and art, and that was in early December. Um, and it left all of our Solano family who volunteered feeling encouraged, joyful, and totally blessed by the time we spent there. Furthermore, a long staff member, Marcelle Wilburn, who works as a volunteer services manager, told me, after our time there this past December, here's her quote. Solano displayed what we desire and need more churches to do. Their love for the Lord and the least of these was refreshing and a blessing. They really connected with the residents and made them feel seen and loved. Many of the residents kept asking when they would come back again because they enjoyed the fellowship and presence of God that Solano brought with them. Bay Area Rescue Mission could not accomplish the vital work we do without faithful, committed, and consistent partners like Solano. Another anecdote from last night's gathering a program and staff member had a major medical struggle and procedure done, and he'd received healing and encouragement from the Lord, yet was exhausted from a long day of working, cooking, and more. He received more healing and love from the Lord when Lauren Fitterer came up with the Jewelry Art Project, which helped memorialize what this dear brother had been through and God's faithfulness to him. It was wonderful just to watch how loving and encouraging she was. And by the way, she teaches art every single month over there. She heads up an art and craft project, so that we have an opportunity not only to play games with residents after we worship with them, but make art, and that's incredibly therapeutic and fun, and she's so encouraging. I'm horrible with making art and she encourages me to try so other youth leaders like Alyssa, um, Sam and Dara, Denise and youth like Robbie, MJ, Eleanor Karis, Javen and Dylan have blessed residents and even our youngest such as Tessa, Max, Ben and Sam have been a blessing in the game and art rooms so Solano family like Peter and Donna Cons have been so faithful and Paul Nunez, the Dixons Miguel and many others they've been such a blessing to people there so join us and I know that God will use and bless each of you if you come and you're a part of this. I encourage you to come and sign up for a Saturday night. We also have opportunities to help with their big annual projects and distributions such as the fall backpack back to school backpack and school supply giveaway. I met a high school girl there once who joined a small group after that. Um, There's Thanksgiving meal giveaways and Christmas gift distributions and Christmas meals and we've been doing all this for like the last 12 years. 12 years ago is when we started doing these things you <laughs> So we have a long-time relationship with them, and it's just been a wonderful blessing to be a part of this. There's also opportunities to work in the kitchen. So this is a really exciting opportunity, you guys, for us, Solano family, and any of you visitors, um, to be involved in this work of the kingdom for our King Jesus. So mm-hmm. sign up. We'll be out there at the table.
1: And if people have questions, they can ask you about all those programs that you
3: Yeah, and about. I also printed some papers with facts out there, and as I said, Rose is over there. Cool. She's a great resource. So. Thank you,
1: jo. Thanks. Next, we have uh, Sohi with Bridges International.
4: Hey, hi, my name is Sohi. I'm so honored to be here. And thank you, Theodore. So, uh, <laughs> you are only one <laughs> here. So what is a Bridges? Bridges is uh, ministering international student. Um, so we're having a fun event and having a lot of relationship with the international student. It's easy for me because I came as an international student two decades ago, and I was not a Christian. I did not a believer. But there are a lot of people like you and inviting us, and like American Home, the first time, this is a turkey Thanksgiving meal. All that kind of event, I really became see that what is a Christian looks like. That was my real experience. So um, my husband, I married Brett and when he married he really struggled because he wanted to become a full time missionary and overseas. I did not have that vision. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> But God has a wonderful plan because the world is coming toward us. Mm. We don't need to be overseas because on living in a Berkeley, so many in a National student from different countries come tours. It was a great opportunity for us to minister and share gospel. It's been wonderful. As Pastor Andrew said, we kind of had this, uh, you know, this comfort heart, but we came as a Bay Area five years ago. It was a wonderful plan because God knew who wanted to become a full-time you know missionary. We are here for this student. So I'm so thankful that we listened to God. God. and we stop here and we really embrace God so we can see that there is our home recently we had a barbecue so many students show up and the men's bible study and then hiking so I think that anyone who have opened your heart and listen God is going to open the door for you and I will be on the booth thank you
1: thank you Sohi. thank you we're going to show a quick video to transition us into our faith and race team
4: We're encouraging our people to be a disciple of Christ, not being at church only, but serving the community in different capacities. You
0: have to be able to rally around the gospel with other people. There's no Lone Ranger Christians. You don't just live in a house. You live in a neighborhood.
5: When we get to heaven, it's gonna be people of all different languages and tongues. And you know, we wanna be a preview of what's gonna happen in, in heaven.
0: Because this is a group of Christians and churches who take the Bible seriously, take the mission of the church seriously, and believe in reaching all peoples.
6: All right, how many of you took part in the recent uh, racial reconciliation survey at Solano, hands. All right. Thank you, everyone. So the Faith and Race Initiative is about four and a half years old. I have a cold, so I'll keep the mask on. Um, I had a cold. Um, We're about four and a half years old, um, and we are focused on creating a a, a church that is deeply understanding of the issues of, you know, complex issues of racism, um, what it means as a Christian to to understand this and to deal with it in ourselves and in our structures. And so we have been doing a number of activities over the years, um, from book clubs and movie nights, um, uh, gospel academies. A number of different events to help grow our understanding individually. Uh, we've run Be the Bridge workshops. Different events to help us grow and understand how we as Christians can can tackle complex issues like racism. Um, and what it means in our society. And so, um, next slide. So we, with the survey recently, um, yeah, so that's the that's the mission statement to give you a sense of like what we've been focused on. Um, and so, next slide, please. I, I may not have imported it. I think, okay. did you have a... Okay, so good. Sorry. So yeah, so I'll, we'll I'll add lib. So, um, so yeah, so the, in this, so we're, we're going to give you a quick sneak preview, of the, uh, sneak preview of the survey results. And so, what we what we got from the survey was about 80% of people at Solano thought that um, being a multicultural church was highly important or important to them. Around 80% of people believed that it was important that we consider the work of racial, racial reconciliation as a church, and that was really encouraging. About 42% of people thought that people of color were able to thrive at Solano. And, you know, there's room for improvement there, obviously. So there's work that we can do. And so there was, there was some really good feedback from you all. We really appreciate your insights um, and the things that you thought were valuable. Um, and we want to take that work forward. And so Violet has a couple of suggestions about things that you can be doing, um, ways you can get involved with Faith and Race.
5: All right. Well, there were some really great ideas on the survey for um, and just some that to my mind for, for next steps are like more discussion opportunities, more reading opportunities, um, multicultural speakers, or even um, different ways that we could partner with um, other groups or churches that are already doing work in these areas um, around us. So I just want to ask you if you have ideas, if you have things that you want to see happen, a book that you think people should read and you'd want to help co-lead a book club, or um, A movie you think that we should watch and discuss together as a community, please come to the table and um, Yeah, come talk to us and sign up and and share those ideas Um, And we can work together to move uh, forward in this way as a community. So yeah
1: Thank You Violet and Spike Now we have uh, Emily with foster the city
5: yes Uh, my name is emily tyler and i'm currently serving as solano's advocate with foster the city which means i get to help be a voice and inform the church and get them connected with foster the city's resources and we're going to start with a little video
4: crisis, there are more kids entering foster care than there are families ready to care for them. Each of these kids has a name and a story, and every story matters to God. We are called to enter into their stories just as Jesus entered ours, welcoming us as his beloved children. Foster the City is a coalition of churches committed to providing a loving home for every child, and there is a role for everyone. Learn more at
5: fosterthecity.org. Yeah, so those facts are uh, heavy and heartfelt of knowing that there are so many children that aren't currently in a stable home. But the encouraging thing is, is that our God is sovereign and that we are called to step up and to step forward. And Foster the City has made that very accessible by providing clear roles and resources for people to be able to step into foster care. Uh, that looks like a couple things of the first thing you think of foster families so of having children into your home and being that stable environment for them to come into but there's so many roles that can come around that as well and they call them foster support friends. This can be giving time, helping with babysitting, giving resources, or just being someone who gets resources together for foster families. This also looks like financial partners. This could be a one-time donation or supporting monthly uh, to help a singular family or giving to funds that can be pulled together. all of this information is uh, organized and led through Foster the City. And as an advocate, I get to tell you about it, as well as to help lead you if you're interested in stepping into any of those positions. And I'll be with all these lovely people out uh, in the, I was about to say lobby, out, <laughs> outside to give you some more information if you're interested.
1: Thank you, Emily. And then finally, we have Sarah. And she's going to introduce what she does.
4: Hi, I'm Sarah. Um, I've been kind of supporting Agape teams for the last few years. And um, I'm just here as like a general support and encouragement to all of the Agape teams i love to see. Um, all of the events that you hold for the church and the ways for us to get connected to serving opportunities together. Um, So, and also to anyone else who has ideas for Agape teams um, that you'd like to see, um, I'm more than happy to help you make that a reality. Um, So yeah, and yeah, that's just what I'm here for.
1: Yeah. So, thank you so much. Can I, should I pray for... Yeah, okay, let's pray for our teams. And if you're interested, we'll, we'll be in the courtyard ready to talk to you. Uh, Father, thank you so much for this reminder in Zechariah that you care, God, for um, the sojourner, Lord, the international students. God, you care for uh, those who have fallen into poverty. You care for the orphan and the widow. Um, and so, God, we just pray that um, by your spirit, Lord, that you would help Solano Church um, to have this be a part of our dna god as it's been small in the past we pray that you would blossom it lord into an amazing work um, that uh that we are marked by god because it is your heart lord and help help that to fuel like the you know this quote from mark Laberton, help that to fuel our worship on sundays god and sort of have this like two two um two-step process of, of Christian life where we come and worship you and then we express that love and gratitude through our service. So bless these leaders, God. Bless those who are going to step into the ministries, Lord. And if anybody, um, you know, that you are speaking to, to, to help, um, you know, help these leaders, God, um, I just pray that, yeah, that action would be taken, prayer would uh, happen, and, and that you would build your church, God. And we are, are excited to be partners with you in it. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks. Thanks, Agape Teams.
0: Thank you all so much. Um, let me pray uh, also just for each of us as we kind of finish our time of communion. Um, Lord, uh, we we come to you with our our desire um, not to be um, stubborn shouldered or um, diamond hearted or closed ears and yet we also know there's complexity in our lives about how to do this. Sometimes we let the complexity keep us from doing anything and so uh, I pray Lord that you would help us to sort through that that you would you would um, lead us and guide us on that path. Um, for each one of us you have a vision for our lives that includes living out the commands of verses 9 and 10 in a way that's sustainable to who we are, humane and so would you give us your wisdom in that and help us to um, discover uh, what it is that you're calling us to and and some of it may just be in the fabric of our daily lives and our workplaces and, and elsewhere in our neighborhoods it's not all located in this particular ministry but this is to be a seed to get us going and so help us to get going in your name we pray Amen.